Welcome to On the Brink, a fresh lens to take you and your business to new heights. Hi, I'm Andy Simon. I'm your host and your guide. And my job is to help you see, feel, and think in new ways so you can get off the brink. I want to help you soar again. And in these fast-changing times, we've been doing so much writing and speaking about leadership in fast-changing times. With all the tumult and disruption, how do you really see things through a better lens? And how do you know how to respond quickly and effectively, build those relationships in new ways? So today I have a fabulous speaker for us. Deborah, Dr. Deborah Clary is here to talk to us about curiosity. What a great topic. What a great lady to have you listen to. And what Deborah is going to share with us is a lot about how we should stop assuming we know and begin to think and listen differently, open our minds to possibilities. And so it's going to be a great day for us to share uh, how to be curious. What's your curiosity quotient? Have you thought about it? Do you love new things or does your brain fight it and flee away from it? So let me tell you about Dr. Cleary first, and then Deborah will come on and we'll tell, we'll tell you all about herself. Deborah Clary is an executive with three decades of leadership experience with four Fortune 100 companies, PepsiCo, Coca-Cola, Brown Foreman, and Humana. Her broad-based functional expertise spans from global operations and marketing, strategy development, human performance, to corporate board and investor relations. Her current Humana role, she's Associate Vice President for the Office of the CEO and works with the executive team to improve their impact and contribution through executive development and cultural transformation. You're going to just enjoy her perspective because she goes around and talks to thousands and thousands of Humana folks about how to see, feel, and think in new ways, to be curious. Deborah, thank you for joining me today. My pleasure, Andy. Now, tell the audience, if you don't mind, who's Deborah? What's your journey like? It sounds like you're a curious person because in some ways that curiosity has led you in great places. Who is Deborah? Yeah. All right. Thank you, Andy, again. Um, well, I started my career um, at Frito-Lay and I actually started as a route driver. So right out of grad school, uh, my first job was driving a route truck for Frito-Lay in the city of Detroit. <laughs> um, and weren't my parents proud, right? Wait, you just went to uh, undergrad and then two years of business school. And now you're driving a route truck. But it's really where I learned the basics of business. You know, when I started at that bottom loading my truck, delivering potato chips, um, learning how to work with uh, backstore delivery um, individuals as well as the uh, store managers. And I spent about a decade at Frito-Lay in various sales and marketing uh, type roles. And uh, after that, I spent 10 years at the Coca-Cola company. And I was uh, started there as a general manager in the Philadelphia area. And then I moved to Atlanta and worked uh, in a global marketing role. And from there, I uh, joined Brown Foreman, the makers of uh, Jack Daniels. I got to learn uh, a lot about uh, bourbon and whiskey. And there I was uh, the VP of strategy. And then I got really curious about culture and leadership. I had worked for two very large organizations, very uh, well-seated and structured. And then I went to Brown Foreman, which was a much smaller company and um, still very much run by the family. And so I began to see differences in cultures and differences in leaderships. And I got curious. And so I went back for a uh, doctorate in leader development from George Washington University. I would 
uh, fly to DC once a month on a Thursday night. I'd go to school 12 hours Friday, 12 hours Saturday, and then I would fly back home on Sunday. And so I, I did that for three years and I wrote my dissertation on executive women and leadership and later published it into a book. And then about that time, Humana was starting a leadership institute and they approached me and said, gosh, with your business background, your academic background, this could be a really good fit. And I said, no way. Like I'm all, <laughs> I am food, I am beverage, I'm, you know, Super Bowls, I'm concerts. I mean, I'm, I'm like living the big life in, in these uh, <laughs> consumer packaged goods companies. And um, the more I thought about it and the more conversations I had with them, I realized I had an opportunity to take all of that experience and uh, help Humana, who was the company was just beginning to pivot into being really centered on the customer and the needs of the customer. So with my consumer goods background, my academic background, I joined Humana to uh, stand up the Leadership Institute. And I did that for about the first uh, eight years that I was there. And then a new CEO came in and uh, we created a new role in which I was embedded in his team and helping his team really improve their team dynamics and really their impact and contribution to the organization. So I've been doing that for the last eight years. You know, I'm curious about your curiosity, though, because I, too, have a career that isn't, you know, I didn't stay for a very, very long time in one place. I stayed long enough to begin to understand its culture, what was developing. I liked things that were vacuums that we could change. Um, but then when I went into my own business, I began to realize that my job was to help others see things through a fresh lens and to do it in new ways, to be curious. And the leadership academies I have, people are emerging to see how to lead differently and to listen differently. So as you're now thinking about your career, and I'm so delighted you shared it, and don't I know you and I don't know you so well. So it's so pleasure to, to really begin to get to know your, your, your history because it's framed who you are today. So as you're thinking about this, and I know you speak widely on curiosity, share with our audience, what is curiosity? Where does it fit? Why is it so vital right now? Because that curiosity quotient, that CQ, is becoming extremely important. Your turn. Yeah, the um, how I got curious about curiosity, if you will, is it was probably about four or five years ago. I was sitting next to our um, CEO in a meeting, and he leaned over to me and he said, "Do you think curiosity can is it is it learned or is it just innate?" And I said. I don't know. I want to go study this. And so I just dug into all the research on curiosity and um, I really became a, a, a huge fan of it, even though I think for me, I am a learner and I, I would my, you know, my parents fostered that in me. And I just, you know, I feel like I can't breathe if I'm not learning something each day. And I, that's how I'm, I'm wired, so to speak. But when he asked that question, I became more serious about it in terms of, well, can it can it be taught? And the answer is absolutely. Curiosity can be learned. And it's also um, that curiosity is not a trait. It, curiosity is a state and that it can be fostered by yourself and others. There was a group of uh, neuroscientists out of um, out of London that wanted to really understand they their their focus was on child development. And what they came to understand is watching them is that. And this won't come as a surprise to you, but that, you know, children, especially toddlers, they ask a lot of questions. Matter of fact, they ask 396 questions a day. 
So every minute and 56 seconds, a toddler is asking a question. Now, the question may not come verbally. It may come at their, they're pointing at something. So children are, are, are incredibly curious because the world is, is a wonder to them. Well, what they found out is that for those caregivers that tried to answer those questions and stayed with their child, they found on this longitudinal study that these children were more academically successful, more socially connected, and more emotionally stable. So as children, we come into the world curious, and if it's fostered, it gives us a better shot at life. Now, another research uh, researching group out of um, London, a different group, studied curiosity in the elderly. They wanted to understand why are some, uh, you know, those that are <clears throat> in their 80s that are still curious what's going on. So those that were reading and were intellectually engaged and walking and really active, um, upon their death, they had one third less dementia. So you think about this. So we come into the world curious and it's really good for our brain because our brain is lit up when we're curious. Um, it's really good for us at the end of life. Um, but what happens in the middle? Why do we stop being curious? And the reasons are one: um, if you just think about um, just just think about how we're, we're we're taught. So, from a Christian view, one of the first stories we learn is that Adam and Eve were curious about the tree of knowledge, and they ate, and then we know what happens there. But you look at uh, Greek mythology, and you look at um, the story of Icarus, who run and wanted to fly, and his father gave him wings of wax and said, but don't go too close to the sun. <laughs> but I was curious. <laughs> and then, of course, my favorite is, you know, don't open Pandora's box, right? So as children, we begin to learn that not to ask questions, that, you know, children are, you know, to be seen and not heard, and you have to sit in your chair and all of those, you know, those things that those messaging um, that we find to find out. And so we go on to universities, we become accountants and attorneys and medical doctors, and we become experts in our field. And so we become, um, we get rewarded for our expertise and our curiosity can diminish because of, of, of what we need to get done. And not to mention time constraints, right? Just not having enough time to be able to, to have that freedom to feel like you can be curious. You know, um, we know so much more about how our minds work. And I love Marissa Pierce, and she speaks about the fact that the mind does several things. It does exactly what it thinks you want it to do. And so if you want it to be an expert, it doesn't allow you lots of room for curiosity. It loves the familiar, not the unfamiliar. And that amygdala will hijack things that are unfamiliar to you that you might be curious about. And so it creates a lot of cortisol that says, that's painful, don't do that. And it really likes, um, not only does it like the familiar, it loves the habits. And so you're very efficient. Your brain uses 25% of your body's energy. So you're really efficient if you're not thinking beyond what your mind thinks is the thing to do. And once it has that story in there, it doesn't like to change it. That's work. And as you're thinking about that, what we know is that once you get locked into that story that creates your illusion of your reality, um, you live it. And you only see the things that conform to it. But what I love about what your research suggests and you're suggesting is that our growth comes from being curious about what we don't know, pushing our brains to open up to possibilities, the art of the possibility, the art of what I'm not sure, to listen 
not to fit things into your brain. My last little story is when I go out with a new client, we go researching their customers. And I always love this because the two of us are in the same place. We walk out, we write down everything we heard. We compare notes. And it was as if we were in two different places. They were listening for all the things that conform to them. And I'm listening for all, I'm curious. I'm looking for all the things that are gaps that don't fit, that would give them opportunities to grow. So as you're thinking about this, how do we help people see things broader, listen differently, be curious? You said an important thing. It's not a, um, it's not an, an aid. It's a state of thinking, it's enabling, it's allowing, it's trusting, it's encouraging, it's taking thought walks so your brain can quiet down and think about things. Some insights or some ideas you can share. Um, so I, I I think you're spot on in, in the sense that it starts with the mindset, you know, setting your intention of being open-minded and, and also saying, I know that my brain is wanting efficiency and it's going to want to uh, <laughs> get there as fast as possible, but I'm not going to allow it. I'm going to remind myself that I'm going to remain open so that I might collect the relevant information so that I can be most, most helpful. And, um, you know, one of the things that I see amongst leaders, and this is a typical exchange between a leader and an employee. An employee comes in and they sit down and they put the problem on the table and the, the leader and the employee look at the problem and they both try to solve it. Now, as the leader, you've been promoted into that role because probably you're an expert in that, that area. And then you both try to solve the problem. Well, there's another way to do that is allow the employee to focus on the problem and the leader ask a series of questions. And you're doing two things for this. One is you're, you're teaching that employee how to think for themselves. And most likely they have the answer. They maybe haven't thought about it in a way that's going to get the best results. And so the, the role of the leader is to ask open-ended questions and then provide support and encouragement that they can do that. That's why you're building the critical thinking of an employee. Um, but that's an error that I see that leaders make that it's an easy fix is to remain open uh, and to ask questions so the employee can think about it. And now a word from our sponsors, Simon Associates Management Consultants. That's us. And we're here to help you see, feel, and think in new ways. Whether you are an organization that's stuck or stalled or an individual in that organization, who's looking to rethink their own life's journey. Simon Associates has designed programs and processes to help you do just that. Our first book, On the Brink, A Fresh Lens to Take Your Business to New Heights, told the stories of seven clients who were stuck or stalled and a little anthropology helped them see things through a fresh lens, reignite their growth, and soar again. My new book that came out in January 2021 is called Rethink, Smashing the Myths of Women in Business. It's all about how 11 women, including myself, were able to see past the hurdles, the glass ceilings, and the brick walls and become the best that they could be. They heard things like women aren't lawyers and women can't lead and women aren't in geosciences. And they said, of course we are. And they really pushed through and did it with such ease that they want other women to see what's possible. At the end of the book, I provide a bit of a how-to process for you. If you're on the brink of rethinking your own life's journey, it's time to pause, step back, and ask yourself, where am I going? What's my passion and my purpose? And am I there or can I get there? Send us your emails to info at andysimon.com and we'll get right back to you to see how we can help. 
on andysimon.com are some free chapters for both books. And you can also join our newsletter and our Facebook group, Rethink with Andy Simon. We are bringing together women to help other women do what they can't do by themselves very often to see what's possible and become the best that they can be. Come join us. And now back to our podcast. It sounds like you're urging those leaders to be coaches, not command and control. I have the answer. I'll tell you what to do. Instead, you're saying, I'm going to enable you to creatively find solutions yourself because you've got the answers. That's why you're there. So how do I help you do that like a coach might? Instead of telling, we're going to facilitate a whole process of discovery. Do you also have them... hmm, Encourage them to come back with ideas, to go back and talk to others. I mean, I'm I'm curious how you're developing those leadership skills because they're essential to developing the team and the organization. At least I think they are. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the the, the first thing is just the awareness of why they may not do that, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't want anyone to feel badly about their leadership. I, I really want to be additive and generative to what they're currently doing. And just saying, you know, we recognize that you are under, um, um, you're under pressure, you're under stress, you're under constraints for time. And it may feel like the easiest thing to do is to give the individual the, the answer. And maybe sometimes that, that is the case. Um, but in general, if the role of a leader is to develop that individual to be stronger, then leading with questions to help them create that, that critical thinking um, is going to be really, really powerful. They're going to you're going to have a better employee if you take that extra time to, to, to do that. And the most important thing is, is you're expressing your confidence in that individual's abilities and that you also want to encourage them to continuously speak up about their ideas. They're, you know, uh, this is an, um, an you know, open forum for any ideas and that we're, we're, we want to explore them. The other thing that we do is so is one, start with the mindset and, and, and encouraging the leaders that this, this isn't easy, um, but you're going to get this. And then we take them through a series of um, what are good, authentic questions and what are, um, you know, non-genuine questions if you will. Um, So, you know, a genuine question is really stating that um, I am, I am really wanting to understand where you're coming from. I really want to understand your line of thinking. Um, And so you're, you you come with that heart of I'm, I'm truly interested. And, um, you know, non-genuine questions are, you are reinforcing what you think you already know. So you're going to, I'm going to pretend I'm asking questions, um, but the reality is I have the answer and I'm trying to lead them to, to an answer. We've all watched these legal shows on TV, right? And isn't it true that? Um, where were you the night of? And so we're asking our leaders not to um, push people into, into a corner, but rather keep the conversation open. As you're working with them, do they embrace it or do they do that resistance at shiny object stuff where they say yes and then don't? I mean, do you have to role play with them? How do you develop them? I'm curious about your curiosity. We do do a a workshop around curiosity and um, we we talk specifically about kind of the the process of of this is is that we talk about the science of the brain and um, it it may sound kind of uh, technical, but it's actually quite interesting in terms of what the brain is doing when you're curious and how healthy it is for your, your brain to stay 
active and alert. And so we start with the science. We, you know, we give some of these studies, if you will. Um, and then we talk about why we are naturally incurious. What has happened to us in our lifetime that has led us to where we are today? And then show a path forward that states that you can shift the way that you show up as a leader um, by just simply asking different questions. And so we take them through what is a genuine question, what is a, a non-genuine question. We actually then have them do an application. They work in groups, uh, determine if is this a genuine question or a non-genuine question, and how would they strengthen if it's a non-genuine question. So we allow them to put it into application in the moment, and um, and then we encourage them to, to be curious. Do they feel the energy in their brain as they are, because they're learning a whole new skill. They're breaking out of the incurious that they've been well honed in to become something that they were way back when they were kids. So they really know how to do it. Um, I'll tell you something in a second, but I'm anxious for your answer. How do they, they feel the energy or do they play and then leave? I mean, it, it's, it's, you're, you're working hard on very strong people to help them do better. Yeah, I, I think that they they feel very uh, energized. You know, it's it's a I mean, it's curiosity. It's fun. Right. It's it's nothing that is um, requires a lot of um, uh, of complexity, if you will. And the way in which we do the workshop, we we put curious things in there and yes. then we tell them why we've done it. Right. We've asked this because of this reason. And um, it's really fun. It's high energy. Yeah, well, and, and I do think that, um, so I, the reason I asked you is that we play innovation games. We're innovation trained facilitators. And what we found was that when you put people into game mode, they relax. You know, humans always play. And, and once you go into a game mode, you can solve problems with such creativity, curiosity, um, without even knowing that the game has enabled you to think beyond the box that you're in. You talked about creating a new sandbox instead of even thinking out of the box. But the human is very um, complex. And I'll never forget, I'm, about a third of our clients are in healthcare, and doctors take 13 years to adopt evidence-based medicine. It's gotten down to 10 years now. But that's a lot of resistance to evidence-based medicine that they should be curious about understanding and being able to apply. But the risk factor is so high that they, they flee it. It's easier to stay back on what they learned than to try and test the new and, and almost risk the fact that I'm not quite sure how to do this or whether it will work or not. So it becomes, it becomes an interesting human transformation. I bet you enjoy what you're doing. Oh, I love it. I love it. It uh, takes my passion uh, and, you know, just now having become somewhat of an expert in the area, it's, it's, it's fun to blend them. Do you measure in any way a rise in curiosity or some way of indicating that there's a change in the culture of the organization? Or do you just hope? Well, we do a curiosity index. Uh -huh. And so um, because we one of our you know key points is that, you know, curiosity is contagious. And so if you are around others that are curious, so you work with pretty much a set set a group in your team um, so you can help each other be curious. And so we measure the uh, curiosity of a team. And so when we do the workshop uh, at the end of it, we reveal what the 
current curiosity index is of that team. Mm-hmm. And we also show them how they compare to other teams within the organization. And of course, you know, all companies are competitive or like, oh, we want to be more curious <laughs> than the finance group, or we want to be more curious in that group. Um, but we don't go back and measure them again, but we we really uh, encourage them to um, think about how they can be different with one another, whether it be a leader and an employee, or if it's just two colleagues, or even with your, your own leader is um, how can you come forward? with a, a different mindset and different questions. This has been such fun. And Deborah, I am enjoying this more than you can imagine and, and how to bring this into my toolkit. And for our listeners, how do you bring this into your toolkit? Because I do think there's something here that is enormously important during fast changing times. You're going to have to be curious about things you're unfamiliar with because it's coming at you from all over. The whole ecosystem is changing. I won't list all the things that we talk about in our workshops, but it's just an abundance of, of, of change. And that means you should be curious about it instead of frightened. Don't flee it. Don't fear it. Don't appease it. Do it. It's going to be cool. A couple of things you don't want our clients, our customers here, our, our audience to forget. Um, I would say that um, curiosity is a state and not a trait. It's contagious. It can be learned and that those that are curious will always be in demand. Oh, I love that. And mostly because people want all of their what ifs and how can I's. And that's really cool. And they've opened their mind to new possibilities and opportunities. That's terrific. Um, If you want to be engaged as a speaker or in some other fashion, perhaps your book, how can they reach you? Um, they can connect with me either uh, LinkedIn or my um, my website, which is uh, DebraClary.com. Good. That's terrific. And we'll put that up on our blog post and so forth and promote it. So for all of my audience out there, thank you for coming. You've lifted us into the top 5% of podcasts globally, which I think is quite an honor. And I get my emails from across the globe. So if you have people you want me to interview for your sake, so you can hear them with a fresh eye and a new lens on it, you know, let me know who that is. Today, we've had Dr. Deborah Clary. Thank you for joining me today. It's been such a pleasure. And I, um, I, I always encourage you. It's info at andysimon.com. Send me your thoughts. Send me your ideas. My books, my second book, Rethink, Smashing the Myths of Women in Business, just won a 2022 Bronze Best Business Book of the Year Award in the Women in Business category by Axiom. And I'm honored. And it's a pretty cool book to read. You'll enjoy it. And on that note, I'm going to say goodbye. Have a wonderful day. Keep thinking in new ways. Be curious. Because I think that's going to be a real good part of a new way of thinking for you. So thanks again. Bye-bye now.